The Daily Rios Digest, December 11th, 2021. So today is Monday, December 6, 2021, and it is the 12th anniversary of The Crisis Tapes. The Crisis Tapes, a podcast, a spin-off podcast uh, that was created by Adam and myself during uh, the CGS days. The first episode dropped December 6, 2009, and the show notes read, It's finally here. Peter and Adam's long-awaited footnote spinoff, taking an in-depth look at DC's monumental maxi-series event, Crisis on Infinite Earths. For those of you who have listened to the Crisis tapes and know how lengthy they can be, uh, that first episode was only 53 minutes and 36 seconds, which is probably one of the shortest episodes I would have to imagine. So the Crisis Tapes came about because we were doing footnotes episodes for a while, for a number of years, and the Crisis Tapes, you know, that was something that I think we just sort of batted around, that it would be fun to do. Our very first Book of the Month Club, I believe, was on Crisis on Infinite Earths. Adam was a a guest on that episode way back, but... There came a time when, I don't know if it was Brian who who said, you know, let's do it. You know, we should, you, you two should really just start it and do it. And, and we did. So 12 years, uh, we have 24 episodes. That's not a great track record, but, you know, we have lives. Um, we are up to issue six. And the first nine episodes of the Crisis Tapes were pretty much just build up. Uh, talking about a lot of a lot of like prehistory, not only to the event, but mapping out several concepts within the DC universe that help to lay a groundwork for that event. Issue one, our look at issue one began with episode ten. We've had uh, an interlude episode where we took a look at some tie-ins, and issue number five took four episodes. One of those episodes was just the cover. So 24 episodes in 12 years with a lot of research and a lot of in-depth exploration of a very monumental uh, event. A monumental event not only for DC Comics, but for comics in general. Obviously, with something as large as The Crisis and as detailed and as historic, that format, uh, that footnotes format going page by page, panel by panel, was just really ideal. And really, in a way, I, I like to think of like the footnotes episodes were kind of like a, a precursor, an unofficial precursor to things like movie by the minute, right? Where you just get into some like hyper detail exploration, not necessarily just annotation style, which is what you find a lot of on a bunch of early websites about the crisis, but really digging into publishing ideas and continuity, both backwards and forwards from the crisis. And it's really become sort of like a labor of love 
for Adam and I. And of course, we have plans to do many, many more. One of the reasons why I wanted to give this anniversary a spotlight here on the opening segment of this week's Digest is because I came across a recently announced rumor that DC Animation is working on an animated trilogy for Crisis on Infinite Earths wouldn't be released until 2023-2024. And I want to express again that this is a rumor. And it's a rumor that was reported by producer and film critic Matias Leorda on Twitter. And they wrote, DC is purportedly planning a three-part animated adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which would bring together different versions of its heroes. All of DC's animated universes are expected to join. So that kind of puts me in a frame of mind of, it feels like, okay, I guess that they're going to do what they did with the CW crisis, where it was Crisis on Infinite Earths in name, and they used several TV pro, uh, TV shows and movies and tried to keep it to the live-action side of things for the DC Universe. But now they're talking about, uh, you know, bringing all the animated universes together. So I'm assuming that means the Batman the Animated Series, which continued with Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. Then we have Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go! Uh, Young Justice, all of the various different Batman cartoons after the Batman uh, animated series. Uh, perhaps the animated movies. Are we going to dip into the Lego universe? What about Super Friends and all of the 60s and 70s stuff? It really could be limitless if, if they're talking about using all of the animated universes. And it kind of brings to mind that scene in one of the Teen Titans movies or Teen Titans Go movies where they brought in like all the various incarnations of the teen, of the Teen Titans including like comic book versions brought to life on the screen. So if they're talking about bringing all the animated stuff together then it's probably not going to be a direct adaptation of the comic which is really what I would love to see but that would probably be impenetrable because you're talking about characters who haven't existed uh, or versions of characters that haven't existed since 1985, right? But if you play with the animated universe, okay, that's a little more widespread probably, and people can, you know, you can kind of make connections. Although, you know, what the CW did, pulling in shows like Lucifer, the Batman movie, uh, pulling in Birds of Prey, you know, that was random. Again, this is a rumor. Obviously, I'm going to... I don't, I don't like to dabble in rumors, but this is something that speaks to my heart. So uh, I would love for it to, be, to come true, but who knows if it will. The other thing that this helps me kick off that has been in my notes for a while is uh, this idea of uh, comic cover dates versus comic release dates. So I've been reading some articles about this rumor, and and then I dipped into some other articles about Crisis on Infinite Earths just in general. And a lot of times you see in the opening paragraph, Crisis on Infinite Earths was a DC Comics event 
that was published between April of 1985 and March of 1986, which is not correct. I mean, I guess if you want to play semantics, you know, cover dates might have some terminology wrapped in with publishing dates, but Crisis on Infinite Earths number one shipped in January of 1985. There are several online resources where you can get this date, or you know, get that, uh, um, I forget what the actual date is, I have it somewhere. But there are a bunch of sites that say, you know, released in January of 1985, based on a retailer DC release sheet, or something that was in like uh, uh, Amazing Heroes, a magazine, a trade magazine, um, Meanwhile columns, letter columns, where they would say, you know, the crisis is going to drop in January. In fact, I think I posted on Twitter years ago um, a letter column response from Marv Wolfman. It might even be in one of the later crisis letter columns where he said that the book came out in January, right? Um, so Crisis on Infinite Earths does not... <laughs> Comics in general, usually, let me say usually, traditionally, from like the 80s on, if not even before that, cover dates do not uh, equate release dates, especially when it comes to DC and Marvel, specifically. Go check out the Grand Comics database, go look up DC releases, I have my very own personal record book that dates back to 1985, and even if those dates aren't the actual release dates, if I know I picked up a comic by, say, you know, April 5th, 1985, then clearly it it was released prior to April 5th, 1985. Um, I've seen fans, you know, make this mistake. I've seen professionals make this mistake when they're trying to point out their anniversaries and they use the cover date and it's like, no, no, no. You know, and cover dates are only usually two to three two to three months off, so it's not like it's completely wrong. But for something like the crisis, uh, you know, January to April that's a long time, and you know, DC was celebrating their fiftieth anniversary throughout that whole year, and uh, it's just a mistake that I see over and over again, and it really comes down to shoddy journalism, if you want to call that, or just people who don't care enough to um, realize the difference. I think even on Wikipedia, the crisis article says, you know, April April to, to May, uh, April to March. So if anybody's a Wikipedia editor, make a notation that those are cover dates or, or then add a secondary sentence that says, uh, you know, it was released in January with a cover date of April. You know, like it just, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. So... From cover dates versus release dates to an animated crisis rumor all the way back again to the 12th anniversary of the crisis tapes. Uh, any chance to talk about the crisis in any small way always makes this crisis kid uh, feel very happy. The intention was at the time to try to clean up the DC universe. Not because we wanted to make a big event, but that they thought that the DC universe needed to be simplified a bit. So Crisis had a specific purpose. We didn't know it was going to sell. We didn't know, you know what, what type of uh, uh, reception it was going to get, um, which is, I think, sometimes the most exciting time to work on a book when you don't know how it's going to do. You just want to do a good story.
obviously unintentionally we're going to continue uh some george perez thoughts uh you know i talked about the crisis yesterday and today tuesday december 7th george perez dropped a rather lengthy um note to fans friends and extended family talking about uh a recent um diagnosis that that George has experienced and wanted to update everybody about what's going on with him health-wise. Rather than try to paraphrase or try to put into my own words what George uh, wrote, uh, I thought it would just be best to read exactly what George himself wrote and put out there. For anybody that maybe hasn't seen it or you heard the news but you didn't quite know where it came from, Um, And again, I don't want to put words into George's mouth when George took the time to write all of this. So here is what was, was posted. To all my fans, friends, and extended family, it's rather hard to believe that it's been almost three years since I formally announced my retirement from producing comics due to my failing vision and other infirmities brought on primarily by my diabetes. At the time, I was flattered and humbled by the number of tributes and testimonials given me by my fans and peers. The kind words spoken on those occasions were so heartwarming that I used to quip that the only thing missing from those events was me lying in a box. It was amusing at the time, I thought. Now, not so much. On November 29th, I received confirmation that after undergoing surgery for a blockage in my liver, I have stage 3 pancreatic cancer. It is surgically inoperable, and my estimated life expectancy is between 6 months to a year. I've been given the option of chemotherapy and or radiation therapy, but after weighing all the variables and assessing just how much of my remaining days would be eaten up by doctor visits, treatments, hospital stays, and dealing with the often stressful and frustrating bureaucracy of the medical system, I've opted to just let nature take its course and I will enjoy enjoy whatever time I have left as fully as possible with my beautiful wife of over 40 years, my family, friends, and my fans. Since I received my diagnosis and prognosis, those in my inner circle have given me so much love, support, and help both practical and emotional. They've given me peace. There will be some business matters to take care of before I go. I am already arranging with my art agent to refund the money paid for sketches that I can no longer finish. And since despite only having one working eye, I can still sign my name, I hope to coordinate one last mass book signing to help make my passing a bit easier. I also hope that I will be able to make one last public appearance wherein I can be photographed with as many of my fans as possible with the proviso that I get to hug each and every one of them. I just want to be able to say goodbye with smiles as well as tears. I know that many of you will have questions to ask or comments to make, and rather than fueling the fires of speculation and well-meaning but potentially harmful miscommunication, I will be returning to the arena of social media by starting a new Facebook account 
where fans and friends can communicate with me or my designated rep directly for updates and clarification. For media and press inquiries, please use the contact information on the page as well. Please respect the privacy of my wife and family at this time and use the Facebook page rather than reaching out through other channels. I may not be able to respond as quickly as I would like since I will be endeavoring to get as much outside pleasure as I can in the time allotted me, but I will do my best. Kind words would also also be greatly appreciated. More details to follow once it's up and running. Well, that's it for now. This is not a message I enjoyed writing, especially during the holiday season, but oddly enough, I'm feeling the Christmas spirit more now than I have in many years. Maybe it's because it will likely be my last, or maybe because I am enveloped in the loving arms of so many who love me as much as I love them. It's quite uplifting to be told that you've led a good life, that you've brought joy to so many lives, and that you'll be leaving this world a better place because you were part of it. To paraphrase Lou Gehrig, some people may think I got a bad break, but today I feel like the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Take care of yourselves and thank you. George Perez, December 7th, 2021. When that was posted, the outpouring was amazing on on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. And um, I learned a new phrase that I hadn't learned before about uh, giving flowers, giving flowers to someone while they are still alive, meaning giving their celebration, giving them their due, giving them their honor, celebrating their life now rather than later when they're gone. And that is something that I am going to do in response to this. Uh, On Twitter, every day I'm going to post something about George Perez. I have the Tower podcast, which has always been a celebration of New Teen Titans and the creative team, and especially George Perez. And, you know, with the crisis tapes, like I talked about in the first segment of this week, in many ways, the new Vibology segment that I do on the Digest, taking a look at uh, Latin representation across comics, not only on the pages, but in the creative team as, uh, creative side as well. That could be a way to celebrate George Perez. I, I, he's my favorite artist and, and has been since New Teen Titans issue number 28 from 1982, I think, 1982, 1983. I like that phrase, give flowers. Let's give flowers to the man. First and foremost, give flowers to George Perez by saying his name right. Accent on the first E, George Perez, not George Perez, George Perez. Uh, I did meet George once at a Pittsburgh Comic-Con. Um, he was drawing, uh, I believe, for either the Legal Defense Fund, Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, or Hero Initiative, one of the two. And I got a one a Donna Troy sketch, head sketch, and got a picture that I posted on Twitter. I believe it was from like 2008, 2009, and got a chance, small chance to talk with him personally as he was drawing. And um, when this announcement hit, someone reached out personally and said, you know, did you ever interview George for a podcast? And the no, um, during all the CGS years, no, we, we hadn't uh, interviewed George Perez. And I think some of that was because because George is such a personal uh, comic book hero to me, 
I don't know. Maybe I thought I, I didn't want I didn't want it to be in in that arena or something. I wanted it to be maybe a little more personal somehow. Or I was sort of content with meeting him and having him draw that Donna Troy sketch for me, and and that was enough. Um, it was kind of like when I met Grant Morrison, I believe, at a San Diego Comic Con where I, I was hanging out with the Ape Entertainment booth, and a couple booths down, there was a sign that said Grant Morrison signing for you know a, a short amount of time, and it wasn't at a big booth, it was just at a very small booth, and I there was no line, it was starting soon, so I jumped in, I think I was like the third or fourth person in line, and got to sit with Grant Morrison for five minutes and talk about crazy stuff, stupid stuff, you know, I don't know, Invisibles, um, writing some personal things, some astrology things. I mean, and that was enough for me. Like I got to have a one-on-one with Grant Morrison for five minutes. I, I got to have a one-on-one with George Perez, uh, for, uh, you know, a short amount of time. Quite frankly, the comic book side of things, I don't, George has had so many interviews, podcasts, written, etc. that I don't know if there are any new questions. I'm sure there are. Uh, I think I would want to talk with George more about his musical theater stuff, you know, because he is someone who participates in community theater and I'm someone who grew up in musical theater and and I'm Puerto Rican and into comics. So it would be kind of interesting to talk about that and, and did that, um, did the musical theater side of things inform the comic book side of things or vice versa? Uh, I know that George used to do a lot of theater programs for a community theater in his area. And if you ever read the pace setter George Perez newsletter magazine, um, which you can find online, uh, there's a whole issue devoted to that, which is really great. I can't imagine the strength and the honesty someone has to have to write that letter like George did, knowing that there's a, a time limit, an expiration, whatever you want to call it, but yet turning it around and saying, I want to live. I want to, I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate with all of you. And it's really been amazing because, I mean, you hear from a lot of fans, you hear from a lot of professionals about their, the inspiration that George has had and um, on their work and just as a creator in general, and just what a sweet guy he is, and um, what he means to comics, you know, superhero comics especially, and DC and Marvel especially, all the way through to the movies, um, and TV shows, and I talked about the CW crisis in the previous uh, segment, you know. In many ways, I think I saw this on Twitter, George Perez could be a certain generation's Jack Kirby in terms of art and in terms of the, the amount of influence that he has had on the industry as a whole. And certainly what he has had, uh, certainly the influence that he has had on, on me personally um, if anybody has listened, if anybody's been listening to me talk podcasting since episode one of CGS, 
uh, George Perez was always around. In fact, we used to do a quarters in the jar thing whenever I said his name wrong in those early days. I know a lot of my own superhero drawing that I used to do as a kid started because I used to trace stuff that George did and other creators. But all of those who's who covers, pinups, um, there just was a certain style. I think I inked whenever I used to ink using either a pen or a flare pen. I used to ink the muscle structure the way George Perez used to ink himself, uh, especially when you think of that cover of um, Tales of the Teen Titans that, that first featured Nightwing and Jericho and Deathstroke during the Judas contract. Look at the muscle work on that issue, uh, on that cover. Like that's That's how I used to ink. I didn't learn from an anatomy book. I, lear I learned from comics, and I learned from George Perez. I definitely want to do a Zoom panel, if not many Zoom panels, focusing on George Perez, just very casual chats. If you're someone who, you know, you're a longtime fan of George Perez, and you remember the first comic that you read that featured his artwork, or you have a favorite comic, or you've, you have a favorite in-person meeting story or commission or you have original art, I would love to have a conversation with everyone. Maybe even put it out video, which I, I don't like, but that way we can show off comics and art, etc. Et uh, I did have the pleasure of looking at the original artwork for, hmm, I want to say Crisis on Infinite Earths number 12? It was either 12 or 1. I can't remember. Pants would be able to let me know. I'd, I'll have to reach out. And um, was that the only Paris artwork that I've seen in person? Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, as far as the cover. Uh, I think I also saw some other original covers, but it wasn't in person. It was, you know, um, through correspondence. But um, I'm very happy with my Donna Troy. In fact, I used that as a basis to do kind of like a trio of, of sketches for Donna Troy. So George did Donna Troy during the New Teen Titans days with her red jumpsuit. And then I sought out Nick Cardi, uh, or Nick Cardi was at a convention. I want to say a Wizard World convention even. I can't remember. And he did a backing board-sized headshot of Donna Troy, the ponytail Donna Troy from Teen Titans. And then I showed that to Phil Jimenez and um, Phil did the uh, Donna Troy version that he created, the one with the space jumpsuit, his version of Donna Troy. Uh, it was some kind of order like that. I thought it start with started with Perez. It might have started with Nick Cardi and then Phil Jimenez and then Perez. I managed to get that middle version of Paris. And I would love to put them up sometime, you know, because I still have all three of them. I remember Phil Jimenez saw the Cardi one and was like, oh, wow, I can't believe I have to follow this up. You know, I told him my idea. Um, and it's no no question that when you talk about George Perez, that Phil Jimenez's name, name would come up uh, because he is a protege and he considers... George, his, uh, does he say his father? I forget what, I for, you know, sort of like his mentor at least in many ways. So, yeah, 
giving flowers to George Perez while he's still here and wants to share in the celebration that is comics and specifically George Perez comics. I plan to do so. I hope you do too. New Comics Wednesday, book recommendations for the week of Wednesday, December 8th. We start with Marvel Voices Community, as Marvel celebrates the mighty Latinx heroes and creators from all corners of the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man Miles Morales, White Tiger, Ghost Rider, Sunspot, Miss America Chavez, Reptile, and so many more heroes get their moment in the sun as new and fan-favorite creators continue to expand the world outside your window. $9.99. This is a follow-up to other Marvel Voices one-shots that Marvel has produced with creators and characters of African-American descent, indigenous, pride, Asian, and now we have one for Latinx. Also for Marvel, Devil's Reign, one of six, by Chip Zartsky and Marco Chiquetta. And this is a story that has been building with Wilson Fisk as uh, the mayor of New York and bringing down his reign and his political power down on all of the heroes that call New York City their home. So, for instance, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and more. And, of course, with Wilson Fisk, Fisk comes uh, some villains, Crossbones, Taskmaster, Typhoid Mary, Shocker, Whiplash, Rhino, Craven, and then uh, a whole army. And this is $5.99. From DC, we have The World of Krypton, one of six, by Robert Venditti and art by Michael Avon Oming, a modern telling of uh, what it was like to be on Krypton. Krypton is a utopia admired across the universe, but its shining towers and regal people conceal a planet rotting at its core. When a catastrophic event befalls Krypton's natural world, it points towards a mass extinction in the making. Jor-El, head of Krypton's revered science council, embarks on a mission to save a world that may already have passed the point of no return. And this will feature characters like Jor-El, General Druzad, a young Kara Zor-El, and this combines action, cosmic wonder, political intrigue in a story as much about our world as the one on the page, $3.99. And then also from DC, one that I'm really looking forward to, One Star Squadron, one of six, by Mark Russell and Steve Liber, and this is DC's superhero team uh, where heroism meets capitalism. This ragtag group of heroes, led by Red Tornado, is here to provide service with a smile. All you must do is send a request via their on-demand hero app, and they will answer any call. Whether it's a children's birthday party or an alien invasion, no job is too small or too big. A -a one-of-a-kind miniseries that promises a story filled with heart, heroism, and humor, $3.99. One Star Squadron, that's a riff on All-Star Squadron. And there's uh, a whole bunch of characters in here, including the Heckler, or at least a version of the Heckler, uh, a Keith Giffen creation from from the 90s, I believe. 
So yeah, this is a definite must buy for me. All right, there you go. Just four short recommendations coming from Marvel and DC this week. A World on Fire. An All-Star Squadron podcast. Join your hosts, Billy D. And Herman, as we take a deep dive into the seminal DC comic series created by Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler. We'll be covering the series issue by issue, spotlighting our favorite characters. And talking about the historical tie-ins as well. So join us every month in... A World on Fire, and All-Star Squadron podcast. One of the things I posted on Twitter to celebrate George Perez is the cover to focus on George Perez from Fanagraphics Books that was released somewhere in mid-1985, maybe early to mid-1985, and it was cover priced $5.95. And I mentioned how I'm fairly certain this was one of the first overviews of George Perez's career that I picked up. The book itself is a bunch of interviews and a portfolio and a checklist. You have people like Dan Deutsch, Heidi McDonald, Mark Wade, R.A. Jones, R.C. Harvey, Michael Mettler, Lou Mugen, a Perez checklist by Andy Mangles, and more. Apparently, there was also uh, a focus on John Byrne from 1984 that I was unaware of. There were only two, I believe, focus on books, and the first one was John Byrne. So uh, I've never seen it before, and I have to imagine it's probably difficult to find. The George Perez one is pretty high in cost from what I saw on a quick search. So these are our hard books to find. I think the reason why I posted it on Twitter be- it was because I wanted to show how, um, how involved I was with George Perez as, as an artist and how deep I was getting into finding information on what was becoming my favorite comic book artist at the time. So if we're talking... Um, late 1985, uh, I was 12 years old. I was just shy of turning 13 and I was already reading comics and I was already, already reading New Teen Titans and Crisis was already going on and Who's Who was already going on. And here's this resource material on a, on a popular artist and I just had to get it. So when I look at the other comics that I purchased at the same time that I purchased this focus on George Perez, um, it makes me think of a number of things. Uh, As I mentioned before, I do have a record book of all of my purchases going back to, I I think, going back to 1985 because the first couple are not dated. And when I look at the uh, list of books from this particular purchase, I have some new releases, but I also have a lot of back issues. So for instance, because we're talking around October of 1985, issues like Crisis Number 10 
Outsiders, the Baxter Run number three, the first issue of the popular Mike Zek Punisher limited limited series, Amazing Man number one, and then I also picked up Official Teen Titans Index number two, which was released sometime in September of 1985. And then the back issues, uh, I had things like Night Force number four from 1982, Thriller number two from 1983, and then a whole bunch from middle of 1984, Ronin number six, Dalgoda number one, another Fanagraphics publication, Dazzler the movie graphic novel, DN Agents Surge number one, and Infinity Inc. number eight. Now, if I picked up these back issues, uh, that means this, this particular um, purchase had to come from a comic store. But I'm a little uncertain if it's Golden Eagle, or if it's Hildebrand's or Hildebrandt's, which was the first comic store I ever went to in Reading, PA. Uh, and it was owned by, I don't remember the gentleman's first name, but in my mind, I think, I look back and I go, I think he looked like Roy Thomas a little bit, but that could just be, that could be my mind filling in the blanks, and, and I'm not sure what he looks like. So anyway, October 1985, as I said, I was just shy of turning 13, and it really is no question why I love things like trivia and resource materials because of things like who's who and those official indexes and focus on George Perez. Um, it probably solidified a lot of my love for Perez. I got to see a lot of things that I just didn't see. I mean, I was reading New Teen Titans in Crisis, but I didn't know about much of Perez's early work, certainly not childhood work. You see images of early sketches and early tryout issues, his love of beefcake and cheesecake, concept work, um, all that Avengers work, all the Fantastic Four stuff. Uh, there's a portfolio where I probably saw for the first time uh, that unpublished JLA Avengers work. Uh, and then on the back is a picture of George, uh, you know, very young and burly and curly-haired, and he looked like he could be one of my old Puerto Rican uncles, right? Focus on George Perez. Uh, I still have it in my collection to this day, along with many other George Perez compilations and resource guides, etc. A book that just was so powerful as a kid and I probably read it as much as I looked at all the artwork to try to trace and copy and become a Perez clone back then as I created my own characters and uh, I'll have to read it again it's been decades since I've read the entire thing um, but I really should you know go back and uh, just remember all of the things that I learned and go, oh, right, this is where I learned this about George Perez, and I learned this about George Perez, and here's, here's the first time I saw that phenomenal white tiger spread over a, over a cityscape, and um, all of George's thoughts on Crisis and New Teen Titans, etc., etc. So focus on George Perez. It is probably expensive and difficult to find, but if you do have it and you haven't flipped through it in a long time, you should probably do so. Here it 
is, folks. Take a seat and clean your feet. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, because, well, what else am I going to do? I'm your host, my name is Steven, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is the trailer to Season 2, where I'm going to be talking about Crisis on Infinite Earths, the event that changed the landscape of the DC Universe forever. Episode 1 lands on Friday, July the 23rd, and unlike what I did in Season 1, I'm giving you a bit of an introduction to Crisis on Infinite Earths in that first episode. I don't go in-depth, because honestly, I'm very much out of my depth, but still, I'm going to be dropping a bit of knowledge on why DC, at the time, felt the crisis was something they just needed to do. After that, I do what I do, and that's spend the following 12 episodes on each of the 12 issues. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Worlds will live, worlds will die, and nothing will ever be the same. So it's Friday, December 10th. It is the last day of the work week. It is also the last regular day of the semester and next week is finals although I gave my finals this week so I get to do conferences next week that means as of now I'm free I'm free and freedom That's right, I'm free! Oh, this semester is done. What a trying semester this has been. A semi-return to in-person classes, safety protocols and mask wearing, having to take multiple COVID tests because of minor scares here and there, commuting, commuting, and more commuting. I'm free. Happy winter break. Happy winter break to any educator out there that made it this semester, that made it this far, or if you have another week or so to go. The end is right around the corner. Speaking of the end, this has been the Daily Rios episode 535, the 23rd Digest for Saturday, December 11th, 2021. Talk to you soon. Coming soon. The red skies are just the beginning to iPods across the multiverse. The threat is a wave of antimatter that moves between universes. A Footnotes production you dare not miss. Please, monitor, stop me from hurting you. You know I can't do that, Lila. My name is Harbinger. Worlds will live. Barry? Half to keep running. Worlds will die. Time to save the world. Ah. Iris. CGS presents the Crisis Tapes. Supergirl, save Superman. You understand? The Transformer. You've got to just do as I say. To turn in the midst of battle. That is a fatal mistake. The CGS podcast will never be the same.